I'm Karen. And I'm Michelle. We're sisters. And homeschool moms. Welcome to the Layers of Learning podcast. Where we talk about family-style homeschooling. Hi, this is Michelle from Layers of Learning, and I'm here with my sister. Hi, I'm Karen. We're going to talk about how Layers of Learning combines a lot of different homeschooling styles into our one curriculum. Basically, we took everything we loved and put it into this curriculum. Yeah, I think it's interesting because when we started homeschooling a long time ago, Michelle, you started first and then I joined in. I probably would have called us classical homeschoolers at the beginning. I, I lean towards classical, yeah. Like even still today, I think a lot of what we do is kind of that mindset. We're definitely not like unschooler types exactly, but the longer we've been homeschooling, the more we've blended other styles. Yeah. Is that accurate? Well, I think for sure, because for one thing, classical style is not known for being hands-on. Yeah. And and layers of learning is definitely a hands-on curriculum. I guess I'm not even saying like how we homeschool as much as how our minds work. Like our brains. The organization, I I think the organization of layers of learning is scaffolded around a classical style. Yeah. But then the other little elements that we put in are definitely more Charlotte Mason and Montessori unit studies. It's a blend of all of that. Yeah. It's really interesting when I talk to moms who are using layers of learning, how they'll say, I love that you're so Charlotte Mason. I'm a Charlotte Mason homeschooler. And they'll kind of like tell me all of the ways that it's Charlotte Mason. And then I'll talk to the next one and they'll be like, I totally love that this is all unit study based and da, 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 da. you know, and they tell me all things yeah. and the next one will be like, oh, I am so classical too. That is so, you know, they see those parts <laughs> yep, of it. Yep. And so it's fun to see that it's a cool blend. Let, of the let's styles. start out with classical talking about how it's classical because again, that's kind of the framework that we started with, started with and, and it's how we organize the curriculum because one thing about classical is it is organized. That is probably the defining feature of classical education that is so organized. And we're both organized people. Yeah. I have to have things organized in my mind so that I can relax a little bit and know that things are covered and things are where they belong. And it just makes me feel like, oh, this is all feeling right. It's fitting together. And classical does that. The four-year cycle Mm -hmm. makes sense in my brain. Yeah. It, it feels right that I'm running through it and then we're going through it again and then we're going through it again. That makes me go, I don't have to cover everything. Well, and doing things like learning history in order, mm-hmm. learning about the world in a systematic way, that is very classical. I actually wonder why they don't do more of that in public schools. I'm not sure when, okay, it, it used to be that all schools in the Western world were classical schools. That's how it was done. Everyone did it that way. Yeah. And then I'm not sure when it changed. I think it must have been in the 30s, 40s. It must have been around. Well, all I know is that now when you study history, each year in history, you're like, okay, let's do a little bit of world history and let's do a little bit of, you know, U.S. history and a little bit of local. And they grab little bits and pieces instead of having it be kind of an organized whole in education. It's all out of order. The idea of Common Core was kind of addressing this, but they didn't quite do it right. But people don't stay in one school system in one place forever. And so kids who move all of a sudden go, oh, whoa, where are we at? A little bit. And Common Core was kind of trying to address that. Except Common Core still didn't build a really organized building way of learning. Well, it's impossible in America because (laughs) every single state is its own entity. Yeah. And so every single state 
controls its own education system and you are never going to get everyone to agree. That's not going to happen. Well, and even beyond states, there's a lot of local control right, beyond right. states. And so it's it's interesting to see how, yeah, we can't all get along. <laughs> so yeah, we, it's just not going to happen. It won't. But, <laughs> but in a mindset way, it makes sense for me to teach my kids history in order. Yeah. It's like, this is what happened. This is the story of what's happened so far. And now we're making the rest of the story happen today. Yeah. So, so classical education is built around that four-year cycle. So you cover all of the basic subject areas in school in four years. So you do ancient history and then medieval history and then colonial history and then modern history. Mm -hmm. And then you start over. That, that's the four-year cycle, right? Yeah. And so layers of learning is built around that because it covers everything and it has repetition. And both of those things we think are really important for kids because they're going through the, I mean, that's why we talk about the younger grades, the middle grades and the high school years, because your kids are developing their mental capabilities all through those years. And so if you repeat the information, the, the learning, then they start to be able to make connections. Whereas if they're learning about something new every single year, they never have the opportunity to make any connections because there's no context. Every year it's brand new. Yeah. It's just out of the blue. So classical allows that organization to happen. Yeah. I, I love that organization. I love the feeling of it. I also love that classical education really emphasizes books and we're kind of book nerds. We, yeah. we love reading. We love having that be part of our families and our homeschools. And so it's hard for me to imagine letting go of that part. Like that's a part of classical that is just in me. And classical education focuses really hard on the great books. And I don't think We've that, expanded layers, beyond that. Layer, yeah. layers of learning doesn't just, you know, hold to the great books or kind <laughs> we of, just, we just look for great books. <laughs> right, right. But, but the, uh, we do include the great books in layers of learning, but we don't emphasize it. Like they're in the library list. And when they are, we say, this is a great book of the world, or yeah. they'll be in a sidebar and we'll say, this is a great book of the world, but it's not like a core part of the curriculum for most, you know, like there's not a lot of explorations on great books necessarily. There's some, I would say that our book style, we're not getting into Charlotte Mason yet, but it's actually more. Than yeah, that. it is. It is it's more, more Charlotte, it is more Charlotte Mason, but, but yeah, we do emphasize reading right. and having that be, a big part of your home reading and writing. I think mm -hmm. those two things are, are emphasized in layers of learning and those are very classical. Yeah. Like classical is basically reading and writing and learning about the world in order. That is classical. That's the whole thing. Yeah. So we take that core and then we expand on it. So let's talk about Charlotte Mason. Cause it's, it's basically, it is classical education's cousin kind of, Country cousin. <laughs> I feel like it takes classical and makes it a little more fun. It, it makes it friendly. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what Charlotte Mason did. She, her, her goal was to take this fancy private school in England education that only the rich got and bring it to the masses. Mm -hmm. That's what she was doing. And she only had her students through eighth grade. So she, she basically was able to go through the, the cycle twice. But And she was awesome at bringing the information to a really more personal level. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things that I love that we've been able to do with layers of learning is that we try really hard to apply it to kids, to families, to help them see how these things they're learning about is connected to them and through yeah. the deep thoughts questions, through even just the random small assignments. But it kind of is, Hey, 
this thing that happened, how does it apply to you? Yeah, and Charlotte Mason talks a lot about living books and nature studies. And what that really means is making it friendly, like making it real, making it part of well, your world. Yeah, the here and now. The here it's and like now. You can see it yeah. right now in your life. Yeah, exactly. And that that's what living books are about. That's what the nature studies were about. It was like, this does apply to you. Look, here it's in front of your face. Yeah. And this is something that you can relate to. It's the difference between reading a deep book about fungus and going out into the forest and finding some. You yeah, know, yeah. You're, you're going to do both with layers of learning. You're going to read the book, and then you're going to go out into the forest and find some and, yeah. and diagram it. And, well, and, you know. and in, in the classical education, you're doing a lot more of the philosophical, the, the thinking, the, it, it's going to focus on cerebral things, and then Charlotte Mason is going to focus on hands-on stuff. And in layers of learning, we do both. Yeah. We like both. So we put both into the curriculum. We've got, I mean, most of our explorations are hands-on, even if it's hands-on just in the sense of making a paper craft or uh, foldables to put into your notebook. It still is something that you are doing and thinking about and talking about. Don't you think, Michelle, when we say hands-on, what we mean is you're doing something to create a memory hook for yeah, it. Yeah. Whether that's a game that you're playing or a recipe that you're making or a little craft or whatever, it's like, oh, my kid will remember that better because we did something. I didn't just tell him and he had yeah. to listen or she had to just watch a video and write about it. It's like, okay, we do that, but we also actually get in and do something. And those are where your kids go, oh yeah, remember when we did that? Yeah. And and that's what I think Charlotte Mason was doing with the nature studies. It, it was science. That, that was science class, right? Yeah. But her students she was working with were working class and they weren't ever going to be chemists in some laboratory doing, you know, thinking about the nature of phlogiston. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they were they were going to be interested in, here's a caterpillar and it turns into a butterfly. Real and, life. And that's real life. Yeah. It was like getting out there, really seeing it, really doing it, thinking about the world that you live in, in a broader way, in a more connected way. Yeah. So applying it to what you actually see. And it, we do that. It always life. kind of makes me laugh when... People make nature study an additional subject in their homeschool in addition to science. Like you've seen homeschoolers yeah. who are like, oh, yeah, we also do nature study. They do the same thing with STEM. They go, oh, in addition to science, we do nature study and we do STEM. And I'm like, well, yeah, that is science. Yeah. It's just you're talking about some specific branches of science. Or ways or methods of teaching science. Yeah. yeah. But it's all interconnected. Science is just learning about the natural world. Yeah. And that's just another way. But... I think Charlotte Mason did a good job of those kinds of things. Those, oh, kind of hands-on yeah. type of science applications. <laughs> Unit studies is a huge controversy in layers of learning. Yeah, because it is and it isn't. We call them units, and so everybody says, they're unit studies. Technically, probably you can't call them unit studies. They're elements. Because a unit study, you'll take a topic like bicycles and then you'll have math about circumference, maybe, of the wheel or rotations, or you'll and talk the about science, physics. the science of motion. Yeah. And machines. And, and the history of bicycles. Yes. And then you'll write an essay about bicycles. And then where were they invented? Let's learn about that place in the world. Yeah. That's really what a true unit study is. And layers of learning really doesn't do that. No. Um, the elements that we do bring in from unit studies, especially if you look at, like, additional layers in the sidebars... You can go, oh, look at all these interrelated things. Yeah. So we have elements of a unit study in there, but true, true unit studies, that's all that they do. That is their math, 
that is their writing, that is everything that they do is a unit study and they center it on one subject and then blow it up. Yeah. We do rabbit trails. We do rabbit trails and additional layers. We, we also do connect across subjects where it is possible. Where it applies, yeah. So like we'll be learning about the art of the Renaissance at the same time we're learning about the history of the Renaissance. Yeah. And so that is a unit study, but we don't try to shove everything in there because the most important thing is covering everything and having it organized. And so that takes precedence over having it be a connected unit study. Well, and the but truth we do is do it where we can. We really do believe that it's awesome to have family school where you can, but truthfully, it's it's cool to learn the circumference of the wheel on the bicycle, but a six-year-old and a 16-year-old should be learning at really different levels when it comes to math. Right. Stuff like that. Right. And so you can do some of that, but I've never felt like that's completely, like, it's not a complete education for all of my kids at once. Yeah, I, I think most, most unit studies, people still do a separate math curriculum. They, yeah, but if you are evaluating layers of learning saying, is this a true unit study? You have to say no. Yeah. It's not. Yeah. I think so too. But it, but it does pull in some of those concepts because we tie subjects together where we can and we have the the um, extra layers and we've got um, writer's workshop ideas in the sidebars and things like that. Yeah. When I was in college, um, like doing education classes, I had to write a couple of unit studies for a big final project. And it was similar to what we do in layers of learning. But it was just way more cross-curricular. It had to be. Yeah. But it was focused. That was a unit study for like, hey, you're writing a unit study for fourth grade. Right. And then you can go, okay, these are the concepts that we need to learn in fourth grade math. And these are the concepts that we learn, need to learn in fourth grade writing. And, you know. Right. And once when you spread got, it out to the whole family, yeah. it doesn't quite apply in the same way. So we took some awesome things, the way that... Things are connected and kids can cross different school subjects. Um, we took some benefits, but it's not truly a full unit study. Yeah. It's also not truly classical and it's not truly Charlotte Mason. It's little bits of all of it. Right. right. One, one other way that it is similar to unit studies is that every single layers of learning unit can stand alone. You can just pick one unit out and use it. And you can mix and match the units in any order you want to and use them. So it's not, it doesn't build in the way that some curriculums build where you are required to learn about, you know, this unit before you get to that unit. Yeah. You can actually grab any unit out and use it. Yeah. That's a good point. The standalone nature of it is yeah. very unit studies. Yeah. Yeah. We did that on purpose. Occasionally there's something that you need previous information for, especially in science. But when that happens, we tell you, hey, if you didn't learn about this, go back and review it. You watch a couple of videos or yeah. something. What about Montessori, Michelle? How do you see layers of learning borrowing from that? Montessori was mostly developed for small children, preschool and kindergarten type age, maybe up through first or even third grade. But it was really never intended for, like, to take kids clear through high school. I think she even did preschoolers. Yeah, she did little kids. Yeah. So, But... Its purpose was to help children navigate their entire world. And so it, it, it made the classroom was, the entire classroom was designed to be a learning environment, right? Mm -hmm. Not just the books and the, 
manipulatives they might use, but it was, you know, the, the stools, the buttons, the sink, everything was designed to be a, a learning environment. I think you're already, you already have that if you're doing homeschool. You know, your home is that, right? Much more so than than a classroom even. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but one thing that Montessori also did is, again, lots of hands-on, kids doing things, kids independently being given, like, the freedom to choose and to handle things on their own. Like, you teach them how to do it, and then you say, okay, go do it. Here, here's how you cut with these scissors. Now go cut with the scissors. Yeah. That's what Montessori really kind of did. It was, like, give kids wings. Like, teach them and then let them do it. And I think layers of learning is that we give kids a lot of a lot of open-ended assignments where they can kind of pick and choose how they're going to... Which direction to which go. Which direction to go. Or how to do it. Yeah. yeah. And the one thing that I don't think is quite what Maria Montessori did, I don't pre-make everything. You know, she kind of pre-made stations and toys right, and right. tactile. You know, she had the sandpaper letters and the... We just have those things kind of incorporated in our everyday, um, but I don't have like, oh, here's the lesson, and I pre-planned it, and I pre... I just don't have the time to do that when I'm teaching as many kids as I'm teaching and doing all that I'm doing. She could do it, and that was working for all 30 of her kids, and then it was year after year. She would use the same things, yeah. and it's a little bit tricky in homeschool because your kids are always growing. They're always changing ages. You're always progressing along, and you are the single teacher, Right. And so it's a little bit tricky to do some of that. But you can take what she did do. She encouraged independent learning. Yeah. She encouraged kids to explore. And also mixed, figure things out. Mixed age groups was actually part of her yeah. philosophy is that kids learn better when they, they're teaching little ones and they're learning from older ones and there's like this it wasn't all teacher. It was the teacher had the things out and then she let kids yeah. figure things out and explore. Yeah. And so, you know, again, if you're homeschooling and you've got more than one child that's sort of already happening you you've got these mixed age groups and you're they're learning from each other I think one of the important things you can do when you're using layers of learning to make it a little bit more what Maria Montessori would have approved of is that you can allow for your kids to be really involved in some of the decisions that you make and you know even when you're planning sometimes I just consider what my kids would choose because I know them really well and I know oh this is the kind of exploration that Isabel will like. Right. Oh, and this one's for Jason, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but often I just have them sit with me too and say, hey, look at all of these. What are you guys wanting to explore this time? You know, there's often a project in Layers of Learning. It'll be something like make a diorama of, I don't know, something off the top of my head. Make a diorama of... The rainforest. The rainforest. Right, that's a good one. And there's a list of supplies that are suggested and stuff. But a lot of times I'll just tell my kids, okay, this is the project. What do you think would work good for this? And then they will come up with things that I never thought of. And that's kind of a Montessori idea is having the kids really be the drivers and let them pick, Yeah, you know, let them design, let them explore, let them build it themselves. We do that a lot in our student journals too. Like my kids will see a craft and they'll be like, can I make the version on my journal page? Sometimes I think they do that. So it's like, two for one. Like if I fill up the journal, <laughs> Hey, you know, that's thinking. that's thinking. Yeah. But sometimes I'll even photocopy the activity and it's like, put it at 75% size, you know, print it out. So and then it will that fit little, in the journal. Yeah. It becomes kind of a little foldable. And, and other times my kids will be like, Hey, can we do this out of fabric instead of paper or whatever? We are not 
like married to the project to the point that it's like, nope, you have to follow the instructions and you have to do it that way. Although sometimes I tell them, I can't post it well on social media if you don't make the project. Or, you know, I'm like, come on, help, help your mom out. But, but I love that they're thinking about things and taking ownership of it. And that's very Montessori education. It's kids kind of take the reins. The last one is unschooling. Neither Karen or I have ever done unschooling. I kind of think that unschooling isn't exactly what some people think it well, is. There's, I think there's different degrees of unschooler. Yeah. Like, like there's people who just don't do anything and call it un- unschooling. I think when I was introduced to unschooling, that's what it was. But I don't think there are many, very many people that do that for very long, even if they decide that's what they want to start out with. Because I think they very quickly realize, oh, they won't do anything. <laughs> you know, kids... Or kids they're missing huge parts. Or they're missing huge parts. Or how are you going to actually learn math if you don't have the discipline to sit there and do the math book? No kid is just going to sit there and learn algebra. I mean, I guess maybe there's a few. But it's going to be really unlikely, you know. It's really easy when they're little and they're just truly exploring the world and learning about the things around them and... And people always talk about, hey, math is in the kitchen. You're going to make a recipe and learn fractions. And, you know, that's the beginning. Yeah. But that's not the end. Right. You're not, you're not going to learn graphs and the quadratic equation in the kitchen. So yeah. <laughs> most unschoolers that we've talked to over our over 20 years of homeschooling actually qu- kind of evolve. Yeah. They go, yeah, I started unschooling and having it be very child-led. And then it became more collective. And we said, as a family, let's learn together. But it's still very involved in their lives. I mean, I've said at different times that it's hard for me to say how long I homeschool each day because our family is learning all the time. We're doing things all the time. We're not necessarily at our desks, but it's kind of the lines blur a little bit when you become a true homeschooler. (laughs) You kind of go, yeah, this is the part where it was like the written work. But we also learned about all kinds of things. We went to the museum or we did this or that. That's kind of what unschooling started out as having as the goal is, hey, let's just let learning be part of our lives. Yeah. And we do that. Well, and I think unschoolers who are more than just lazy parents make a big effort to have educational videos, educational books, educational, you know, if they, if the kids are allowed on the computer at all, it's going to be educational kind of games that they're allowed to use. Like, so they, they create an environment where the kids are kind of forced, if they're not going to just sit there and be bored, they're forced to. Yeah. In in some ways, one of the reasons that I can't be an unschooler is because it's so much work. Yeah. Like it's actually (laughs) a lot of work work. if you're going to succeed at it. And I know moms who do. Yeah. But I go, oh, I, I need more of a crutch than that. I need kind of a plan. Yeah, and, and my husband is not down for getting rid of the TV and the computers. He's just not. He's, he says no. <laughs> yeah. Veto. We're going to have video games. That's going to happen. Yeah, us <laughs> so. too. Yeah, it's, we're, we're real people who, uh, who can't just learn all the time. Like yeah. We also relax and we have movie nights and we, you know... So I don't know. For me, I can't I can't completely subscribe to unschooling, but the good things about it are making learning a part of your natural life all the time, having natural curiosity and having your kids go learn about the things that interest them and that they're into in their lives at the moment. And I think that's very layers of learning. I also think that layers of learning is 
an easy to use resource for unschooling families because if their child does express an interest in something, they can just grab that unit yeah. and use it as a resource. Like, okay, well, here's stuff that we can do if you're interested in learning about this, you know? Yeah. It, it doesn't have to be, oh, here's our organized curriculum and here we made this plan and here's the calendar and the schedule and your to-do list. Yeah. It doesn't have to be that. It can just be very organic. And well, and it's, it's got, you know, it's already got the library lists of suggested books that you can go and find. It's got lots of fiction books that go along with different topics and it's, it's got um, every single exploration or, you know, it's a lesson plan and you can just pick out that bit or do that craft or use those printables that fit in with whatever your child is interested in. So the things that I think Layers of Learning does really well is living books and classical literature, both of those. I love the amount of books that we recommend because not only do we have the library list at the beginning... But in the new version of Layers of Learning, we have all of the extra read aloud suggestions and the bookworms yeah. sidebars. And it's been really fun for our families. We've searched those out and kind of made the connections across, especially taking a fictional book and coupling it with what you're learning about in the units has been really, really fun for our family. And I, I think a lot of families have been enjoying those from the feedback we've gotten. So I love the the whole book portion of layers of learning. And that's missing in a lot of curriculums. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, and one of the nice things about it is even curriculums that do have book lists, they're usually they're required. You have to read this. And, and we don't do that because it's too expensive. First of all, not everybody has access to the same books, right. or the same interests. And, and this way you can use the library and find what you really want and tailor it to your kids. It's really funny. I think your kids actually like graphic novels, don't they? Yeah, they do. See my kids, they see a graphic novel and they run the other way. They like, they're not into it. And some kids love it, and some kids don't. My kids totally love fantasy. I think your kids like yeah, fantasy, they like too, fantasy though. too. So, like, if I find a good fantasy book that goes with something we're learning about, it's a guaranteed hit. Like, but you have to kind of go, okay, what's going to work in my family? What are we about? Yeah. And that's not the same for everybody. Yeah. So I like that we have a big. I have selection. one son, in particular, who really likes nonfiction. Like, he's Is not this Tim. No. No? This is Harrison. Oh, Harry. Okay. Yeah, he's the youngest. Yeah. But he, he doesn't... He he likes fiction if I'm reading it aloud or... I don't know. Like, it's okay to him, but he really loves nonfiction. He'd much rather read a nonfiction book. Yeah. And so I tend to get him the nonfiction. But living books means that they're interesting books. So nonfiction isn't textbooks. It's not boring. Like, it's supposed to be... You know, well-written, usually illustrated. Like, these yeah. are the kinds of things that are appeal to kids. Yeah. So that's what that's what is in the book list for Layers of I, Learning. I love that I can grab a picture book and read it to my whole family as, like, our morning meeting. You know, something from the sidebars or whatever. And I'm like, oh, this is a perfect little intro. And I wouldn't necessarily buy it but if our library has it and it works out that's great yeah we don't have to read it but we can read it i just love the variety of books that we have in layers yeah. of learning because it's made it flexible for our family i know i like that very very much the other thing is i love having the classical literature in there I, we don't always read all of it but like i i want this to be incorporated into my curriculum where i know when gilgamesh is coming in or where i know when i should have um you know cover shakespeare like it it it's built into the curriculum so you can see, oh, okay, Dante's Inferno. You know, this, I was, is, this is the right spot in history where I should be. I was like scared of classical literature before 
I could see, oh, this is how it ties in. And we can even read just a portion of it. Or, or a retelling. Yeah. yeah. And and then we reach the point where it's like, oh, we're going to dive in and do this whole thing. You know, but you have the options. Yeah. And it just helps me. It's like a crutch for me. Yeah. And, and we also make a lot of effort to find the best translations, modern translations that are easier to read. That That's our number one thing. How easy is it to read? How how accessible is it for a modern audience? Yeah. That's that's what we pick for the layers of learning list. That's what we base it off of. We don't care about being perfectly authentic <laughs> as much as we care about it being readable. Well, perfect authenticity would be great for a scholar who's doing, right, you in, know. in college. Yeah. But when it's an introduction to this for kids, it's yeah. more important that they understand and... And are interested have, in it, yeah. Yeah. If, if they end it and they go, I don't know what I just read, well, then you didn't really accomplish much. Something I think I didn't understand when I was in school is that I thought that classic literature was highbrow the day it was written. And that's not actually true. Yeah. Like, for example, um, Shakespeare. <laughs> I mean, that was lowbrow, people. Like, yeah. that was that was popular culture. It's like Marvel movies today. That was today. Our, our sitcom, sir. Yeah, yeah. It, it was. It wasn't... It was... Every man and the, the jokes that are sprinkled throughout all of Shakespeare, they would have gotten them because they understood it in the context of their culture. Now we have to go back and read like notes about it. So we have to read an annotated version. Because we don't so have the historical it. context. We're not living yeah. it. And the language has changed. The language has changed. And, and Shakespeare was written to be seen, not to be read. Mm-hmm. And so all of those things make it less accessible for a high schooler today than it would have been back then. Like a 16-year-old watching a Shakespeare play in 1601 would have totally gotten it. Yeah. You know, it wouldn't have been hard to understand. So I, it's fine to take things that are retellings that are more accessible. It needs to be in modern language. So when there are classical literature that's recommended in layers of learning, we have taken pains to find the best translation and recommend that translation to you if you're going to, to dive into it. We also always put in retellings where they're available. If someone has done a retelling of Gilgamesh, we put that in there. Yeah. And it does make it a lot more accessible and less scary. Oh, yeah. And it's not supposed to be... The ideas are often deep, but the words aren't supposed to be hard to understand. The language doesn't have to be difficult to to have the deep ideas. Yes, exactly. The other thing that we do in Layers of Learning is narrations, which is... Basically, you the child learns about something and then they tell it to you and you write it for them or they write it for themselves. Yeah, depending they're, they're on their just, level. Yeah, they're just they're just basically regurgitating what they just learned, but it's, putting in their own words. It's really interesting to me. My kids are just so good at this that they don't even think about it anymore because it's always been a part of our homeschool. But if I am teaching another kid who has not done narrations, we get to the end of the lesson and I say, okay, write about what you learned. And they go like blank slate. They just me. stare at you. Yeah. They go what? I I I was supposed to remember something. I was. <laughs> yeah. I, I didn't. They weren't mentally preparing for it. My kids are so used to narrations now that they know it's coming. And so as we're learning, they're thinking in their minds. They're almost rehearsing in their minds. These are the things. This or is that's what a we're good learning. thing. I want to include that. I, yeah, I'm yeah. gonna put that in there. And so they're making a mental note of it. And that's an incredible learning tool. If you're searching for what you're learning as you learn, you will learn more. If you're just sitting there thinking you're going to absorb it, you don't. And so you have to teach your kids to be actively involved in the thought processes of learning. 
and narrations, I don't think there's an easier way to do it than that. Because you don't have to have anything prepared ahead yeah, of time. Yeah. It's just a very, very simple way to test their knowledge. But it's more than just testing their knowledge. It's helping them learn to be accountable for what they're about, yeah. you know, what they're learning at the moment. They're, they know they're going to have to write about it. So every unit includes a two different sheets. One's a coloring sheet and one is a narration sheet. And they both could be used for narration. So for yeah. little kids, it's the coloring sheet. And then you can write what they have learned, what they tell you they've learned on the back of it or at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And then the other sheet is, is lined so that the child can write on their own. Yeah. And so you would use that probably right after you've watched a video or read a book or read an encyclopedia entry. That's when you would have them write it. Or possibly at the end of the unit and kind of re- recovering everything that they've learned. We used to do it more often at the end of a unit. And I would say, okay... Do your narration for this unit. More and more now, we do it more focused on one individual exploration or one thing. But it can be done anyway. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't have to be like, oh, this is the end of a unit. We have to do a narration. Do that sometimes, but vary it up. Well, yeah, and we used to do that in our book of years. like, And we still do somewhat. So I'll have the kids draw a picture and then they write what the picture is about. And it was something we just read in the encyclopedia. Yeah. Right. But they're they're redoing it in their own words and they're drawing the pictures themselves. So we do it in our student journals as well as as in the um, on those narration sheets. Yeah, we do the same. It's I kind of used to try to have everything be the same in each unit. Like, okay, always after an exploration, we're going to write in our book of years. Always at the end of a unit, we're going to write a narration. And the longer I've been using this, the more I've realized nothing has to be always all of these tools are just there for you to use as you want to. But I do love that narrations are a super, super simple way to just help kids learn to think, write, remember, explain. You know, they're they're analyzing things as they do it. And there's just not an easier way than to just have them do a simple narration, either oral or written. We do some of both. Michelle, you often talk about how you kind of have a subject of the day. Yeah. We do. What makes you choose that when you're using layers of learning? Like, why does the subject of the day help your family? Like, why do we organize it that way? Yeah. Well. Like, we're talking about homeschooling styles. Right. What is that? To me, okay, the reason I started doing that at first is because of classical style. Um, I read Susan Bauer's books Mm -hmm. about the classical homeschooling. And that's how she said you do it like you do history on Monday and then on Tuesday you do geography and then Wednesday is science. So I copied that. And the reason I'm still doing it is because it's easy to organize. It's easy to always know, okay, this is what we're doing and it keeps me on track. And if we miss a day, somebody was sick or something came up, then we just pick it up the next day because there's always a Friday where there's nothing. And that means that I can shift everything and it gives me extra time in my week. Okay, let me ask you this, because this is one of the puzzles of homeschooling that I have not figured out yet. If we have a week that is thrown off by more than a day, like let's say like next week I'm going out of town, we'll be gone for three days. I feel like I have to write off the entire week of homeschooling. Do you do that? (laughs) I do the same thing. I cannot solve it. Although, although I have started going, who cares? (laughs) You just don't mind? Well, because I realized lately we've had so many things throwing us off just this fall we have mm-hmm. that I'm like, okay, if we can only do two days of school this week, we're doing two days of school. Because I used to just go, oh, we'll just skip it because we were doing enough school that it didn't matter that much if we took a week off, right? Yeah. 
And but because we weeks. would pick it up somewhere else. But now it's been like too much. We've just had a we've had a crazy fall. But I now just kind of go, well, what do I think is the most important? We really, really need to do this in history because I really want them to know about Japan during the Middle Ages. You know, they need to understand the samurai and the yeah, you know, that whole thing. So that's what we did last week. Even though we didn't have a full week of school, we got we did the samurai. So okay, that's one of the things that I've had to do, and it's still driving me a little bit crazy. But in general, in our homeschool, we start with our written work. So we start yeah. with like writer's workshop and math and, you know, that stuff. Mm-hmm. And then we later do our layers of learning subjects. We do ours you know? last, yeah. So that's kind of just how it works. But if I have a week that's thrown off, I've had to realize, okay, maybe I have to use this two days of the week that we have or three days of the week that we have, and we're only going to do layers of learning, and we don't even do math. And I'm like, Ooh. that feels wrong. It feels so rebellious. <laughs> feels but, but I'm sitting there going, over the course of the year, we actually finish our math books easily. Like, yeah. That's that's not where we're getting behind. I'm getting behind on the units because yeah. so often I go, we have to do the written stuff. We get to that no matter what. But if things get busy, it's layers of learning that's thrown out, up. you know. And yeah. so I have to go, nope, I got to reverse it. And, <laughs> but yeah, it's the puzzle of homeschooling that I haven't solved because of our style of doing weeks. I know. It I, makes I my feel mind. The same way. Thanksgiving week is terrible. I know. <laughs> it's all of those times when it's like, oh no, I I don't have a good full week. Yeah. And I get thrown off, and I. It's hard for my mind to go, just combine two weeks together and use the Monday and Tuesday from this one and the other three days from the next one. It's hard. Well, and you don't want to make your days extra long or anything. You know, you've got to cut something out somewhere. Well, and we're so routine based. Yeah. That I don't like. It's hard to mess up the school day because like we are too. We we do this, you know, we do math and we do reading. Then we, it's in a That's what makes it flow. And, And everyone knows what they're doing and there's no upsets and everybody's, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's, it's a little bit tricky to do. Sometimes I think that Susan Weisbauer never took a day off. I'm sure she did, but in my mind, (laughs) you know, in my mind, I go, you couldn't have, how did you? (laughs) you? Are you really classical if you've ever taken a day off? (laughs) I'm not so sure about that. (laughs) I'm more Charlotte Mason. Let's go do a nature study because I only have Monday this week. Right. Maybe that's partly why we're not rigid. We we classical homeschoolers because we just hack it. Yeah, life it just <laughs> happens. No, I do love though that layers of learning takes all of those things. We let parents and kids kind of blend those styles together. We study all of the subjects, but you don't have to do everything in all of them. And if you're not quite into something, it's okay to be a little unschooly and let your kids direct that. Well, I think I think. There's so many things that I love about layers of learning because, you know, we wrote it. <laughs> we wrote, we figured out what we loved and then we right, wrote it. And then it. we wrote it. That's what happened. But, yeah. but my favorite thing of all is that it was written to be flexible. The mentor gets to direct everything. Like you get to choose. You get to choose what books. You get to choose how many explorations and which explorations. You get to choose how much you're going to let your kids have decision-making power. You decide all of it. And that flexibility is not in many curriculums. Usually there tend to be more scripted. They tend to go that direction. Yeah. In the same way that I told you, it's hard for me if we have like only part of a week. Yeah. When I used to use like curriculums, you know, way before layers of learning, when I used to use things that were more do this, than do that day one, day two, day three, 
I would be so frustrated because I was constantly ripping the pages out and being like, I'm throwing this away. I'm throwing away the money that I spent on this. It just felt like <laughs> I, I was always so frustrated. And I love that this is meant to be flexible. It's meant to work for your family. It's meant to be flexible on timing, on ages, on exactly the subjects that you learn. On your homeschooling style, everything. Yeah. And you can find what's feeding you and what's working for you and your family. You pick out your favorite things about the different styles and that's what you choose and that's what you make happen. And even if you change, it still works. Like We've if, changed. Yeah. It, even if you completely change the way that you organize your homeschool, your philosophy, it still works because it's so flexible. Layers of Learning really is just a magical blend of all of those styles though. It's fun to see how they all come together into one curriculum that's pick and choose and totally customizable for families. Thank you for joining us today. Come and visit us at layersoflearning.com on Instagram and in our Facebook group and make sure to tune in next month for our new podcast. We would also really love for you to leave us a rating or review to help other homeschool families find layers of learning. In the meantime, we wish you happiness in your homeschool. Have fun learning.